Zechariah 4. I'm not going there quite yet, but I've been in there. Um, when Dave was praying for me, even, uh, I just keep hearing uh, from the Lord this kind of repeated refrain of the two witnesses, the two witnesses, the two witnesses, the two witnesses. Uh, I don't completely understand what he's doing with that for me right now. I know that I'm really not talking about that today, and maybe, well, and maybe I will in a month from now when I speak again, uh, but that's where I've been resting, and I keep coming back to that. And then this message the Lord gave me out of all of these offshoot ways of trying to understand what is in Zechariah 4. So that's just to help that. And he, he told me to tell you, the two witnesses, my message is actually about pouring out and pressing in. I feel like uh, last week with Jen's message was very much that pouring out part. She was talking about like the sponge and the little, the little vessels and, and um, getting clean so that he could pour in. And I felt like I got her part too. I don't know. <laughs> so I got the other half. I got the pressing in part uh, for this week. Uh, pressure is meant to change us. And whether it's a result of our own self-leadership or it's enemy resistance or God's judgment uh, the pressure is an invitation to be changed by the Lord. We might be tempted, I know I am, to relieve some of that pressure in several different ways, maybe by emotionally venting, right? We talk about just like that burst, outburst of anger or whatever. Oh, I just let off a little. Emotionally venting out there. I didn't mean to do it, but I did, and it's, because of the pressure I'm under or whatever. Uh, we give ourselves permission to escape into entertainment. I'm just under a lot of pressure right now. I just needed to watch a movie, play a game. A losing ourselves in working on some project. Uh, I'm just diving into that. I've got to fix my house, fence, yard, car, whatever it is. Um, rewarding ourselves with treats. I'm particularly bad about that. <laughs> it's like, well, I just, you know, it's been a hard week, so I get a little treat. I'm going to have a little yummy thing, a little something I like, something for me. None of these things, and we all know this, but none of these things will relieve the pressure for real. They just temporarily give the illusion of letting off a little steam. And they even mask how much pressure is really there. We are so good at fooling ourselves by giving ourselves these little releases that we um, don't really acknowledge how much pressure we're really under. Um, and then it's building up, and we're becoming less aware of it and less kind of less aware or connected to our own mental state or emotional state and, and, you know, 
coworkers, kids, people out in the world suddenly, what's the matter with you? Oh, it just leaks out. And you're like, wow, I didn't really feel that stressed. But all of a sudden, I am yelling. The only real hope, and we know this, but the only real hope is to pour out those emotions, acknowledge them, say, okay, they're there. The pressure is there. The conflict is real. The thing I'm going through is intense. It really is intense. And I'm going to tell you about it. Um, I'm going to tell you, Lord, about it. And then pressing into Lord. So first we have to tell him, which was, I feel like, Jen's last message, last week's message. And then we have to press into Lord. We can't just stay, okay, I, I laid it before you, Lord. Fill me up. Yes, except for the filling up comes from pressing into the Lord. We have to pour out our emotions and our struggles and our disappointments all our stresses, and be real before the Lord and give him access. Let him, let him have access to this. During worship, I always love to take notes, actually, during worship, during prayer sets. I didn't used to do this, but I'm doing this more and more because I like, I like watching what the Holy Spirit does at the beginning of a set, and how it changes and how it interweaves through people's prayers and songs. Um, And at some point, maybe uh, at some point, all of my, toward the end, they were singing all of my suffering, all of my pain. You're using them to make me like you, turning me, turning them to make me like you. Give us a testimony of going through suffering with you. You are always with me and you never leave me. You never leave by my side. Turn to Second Samuel 15. I've got a few things in Second Samuel, but we'll start with 15.23. So this is King David. Absalom is trying to take over his throne, is is in the process of taking over his throne. His whole household and servants are moving into the wilderness from the city in this scene. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. So they had, this is the same Ark that took so much effort to get into the city in the first place that they had two tries the first time where they did it incorrectly, and Uzziah died, I think it's Uzziah. And then the second time where they did it with great sobriety, and praise, and then, and dancing, and then it comes in. And now they're taking it out. Take the ark. Oh, let's see. Where was I? They set down the ark of the God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all of the people had finished leaving the city. And then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of the 
take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So this same ark that took the two tries to get in there, it was so meaningful, so significant. David, the priests, it goes out before them, and then he sends them back with it. He's not going to keep it with him in the wilderness. It belongs in that city. And he is submitting himself to the Lord. He is pressing into the Lord. He is saying, take the ark back, and can you imagine how his heart is breaking? If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he'll bring me back, and he'll let me see it. And his dwelling place again. He recognizes that the Lord has been established in that city on that hill. And he is leaving. He has to leave. And he doesn't. He separates himself. But he trusts the Lord. He presses into the Lord. He says. If he says I'm not pleased with him. Then I'm ready. Let him do whatever. Seems good to him. And then if you go a little further down to 30, 15, 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. David went up to the top of that Mount of Olives, weeping and grieving And trusting the Lord, he would either bring him back or he wouldn't. And he's pressing into the Lord in that moment. So we're under some pressure right now. It's not just, well, it's certainly our family. Many of you know that Elisha is having a surgery tomorrow morning. A lot of pressure for our family. A lot of pressure for you guys and your families. You know, I know from the, from the prayer chat, from the prayer requests, that there is a lot of pressure on us individually and as a group. Sometime this week, it occurred to me, <laughs> it's just when I was driving with the cars in the, in the car with the kids, and the kids will tell you I preached a little sermon. Um, but... It occurred to me that I needed to be intentionally intentional and aware uh, about this, what was swirling around our family, that I couldn't just pretend I wasn't feeling this pressure or acknowledge the pressure, oh yeah, it's kind of stressful right now, and not really be intentional about it, that it was leaking out in all kinds of weird ways, and um, I needed to be intentional about it. It also... I had to be intentional about recognizing it was happening, but also about what I let come out of me, out of my mouth, and what I put into me, uh, what I viewed, what I listened to, what I heard. Now, somebody else I had spoken to said that they were experiencing the same thing, that they were like, I have to be really intentional about my words. Now, 
when I hear something like that, I immediately <laughs> struggle and trip into my flesh and start thinking about ways to make myself do this or that. Or The truth is um, that all I can really re- do is recognize that what's coming out of me is actually reflecting what's in my heart and ask the Lord to come in and change me from the inside. I cannot really control what comes out of my mouth very well. I can only say, look what's coming out of my mouth. Ah, Lord, I don't want that to come out of my mouth. And I need you because apparently I'm really broken and messed up and I am saying some stuff that I really don't want to say. All I can do is look at him and listen to him and let him change me. Jesus was also on the Mount of Olives. Go to Luke 22. Now, I don't know if this is the same Mount of Olives that David went up and grieved at the top of once he sent that ark back to Jerusalem and knowing his son Absalom was taking his place and trusting the Lord. But Jesus went up, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. This is so familiar, but don't shut the thing off in your brain that says, oh, I know this, right? Think about it now from the perspective of that Mount of Olives bit, if it works for you. I mean, it works for me. I don't know if it'll work for you, but in theory... If you come at it through the back door, it'll sound new again. He withdrew about a stone's throw away, a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Remember David grieving, crying on the top of that mountain, and here Jesus is praying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from him had appeared to him and strengthened him, and being In anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That is pressing in. Another thing that came forth in the worship time is perfect communion is what you desire. The only thing keeping us apart is me. I lay down my leadership. That's Jesus right there, laying down his leadership. I came across a thing. I did not remember where I found it. So we'll just say, the internet said. (laughs) Starting way back in the 5th or 4th century B.C., well over 2,000 years ago, olive oil grinding and crushing was made by grinding and crushing fresh olives into a paste or slurry using stone mills of various types. And to separate the oil from the pulp, pits, and other solids, it was collectively referred to as a pomace. The paste was placed into woven bags or baskets, and the baskets themselves were then pressed. So crush the olive, collect up the mash, stick it in something else, crush it again, you know, collect it, crush it. Hot water would then be poured over the pressed bags to wash out the remaining oil. As the olives were pressed, the liquid was typically drained into a stone 
settling tank where the oil would rise to the top and separate from any remaining water and particles. The olive oil would then be skimmed off the top and stored in terracotta pots for later use in cooking, medicines, religious ceremonies, and more. Pressing. Pressing into the Lord, being pressed, being conformed, being changed. And in that description, which I wasn't aware of, but totally makes sense when you hear it, that hot water pouring through it to pull off the oil and letting it rise to the top and skimming it off. In Zechariah 14, 1, a day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, and half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be neither sun nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. I feel, I don't know if you do, but I feel pressure right now, an urgency, like not just pressure from the things, but an urgency from the Lord. Um, I kind of felt driven when preparing this message. Like there was just, I would read passages and kind of feel kind of emotionally weepy about it. Like I could feel the Lord on it, but I didn't really understand, and I still don't completely, just what he's trying to say, just knew that he was saying something. Last night, I woke up, I don't know about you guys, with thunder and lightning. Now, for years when I would wake up in the middle of the night to thunder and lightning, I would go, the end of the world is coming, from this kind of place of deep sleep to, he's here, he's here, he's coming, it's the end of the world. It's the end, here we are, judgment. You know, <laughs> thunder and lightning, that's, that was my trigger. That's what I would always think in the middle of the night when there was thunder and lightning. Bolt upright. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Last night, I felt like he was saying over and over again, and this is a little different. Now, mind you, take it with a grain of salt because I was from a dead sleep to wake up. But this is my last warning. This is my last warning. I kept hearing it. This is my last warning. This is my last warning. Now, whether it is his last, last, or any of that, I don't know. But I want to take that urgency and not waste it. In Acts 1, 
7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set his own by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit coming on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the skies. He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This week, during praying the word, just Tuesday, 6 we prayed from Isaiah 1 and 2. And I got to be there for the Isaiah 2 part. So Isaiah 2, 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I found a phrase in all of my searching that said, The mountain is where human nature meets God. I thought that sounded kind of cool. Elijah went up the mountain to encounter God. Moses saw the burning bush on the mountain where he encountered the Lord and then later took the Israelites to camp at the base of the mountain that he went up to encounter the Lord. So I'm going to read you just a little bit. So the part of Isaiah, I'm sorry, Elijah is 1 Kings 19.5. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. This is when he's run off into the wilderness after the whole prophets of Baal thing. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked of coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I always love reading that whole passage and I'm trying to decide not to. Let it go, let it go. We're okay. He encounters the Lord, suffices to say. And it was in the last one, the still small voice, okay? Um, 
that was Mount Horeb that Elijah was on when he encountered the Lord. It's the same mountain that Moses encountered the Lord in the burning bush, which is Exodus 3. There's some dispute. I'll just say that. But when it is in when it's in Exodus 3, 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Horeb again. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and in the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And again, I like reading that passage, but we'll resist. Suffice it to say, a little further down, after he has said who he is, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I also have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I'll send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses had his encounter with the Lord on that mountain. Most people consider Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb to be two names for the same mountain, although, like I said, not everybody agrees. It is referenced um, in Exodus both ways, and in the Psalms, Psalm 106, 19, it mentions, 19 through 23, they made a calf in Horeb. The rest of the time in Exodus, it's referred to as Sinai. But they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the golden image. And thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God, their Savior, who has done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn his, away his wrath, lest he destroy them. I think it's um, when we first started worshiping this morning, it started with repenting of idols. And then from there, it went to some prayers and some songs that recognized that peace comes from the Lord or you and you alone. And that. And from there, it went to gratitude for our refuge in him. And then from there, overflowing peace as a witness to the nations. And then his nearness, how he's with us, right beside us. He doesn't leave us. <clears throat> In Exodus 19, 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the, the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you don't go up to the mountain and touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. 
Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall be surely, surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of, out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And then when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze on the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Now, like I said, most of the time in Exodus, the mountain where Moses encounters the Lord and the, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, it's referred to as Sinai. But in Exodus 33, it's called Horeb again. So Exodus 33, 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing of milk and honey, for I will not go up to your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on their ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves off their ornaments by Mount Horeb. I don't know why to focus on the fact that it was Mount Horeb, but I just found it so fascinating that... Elijah is on that mountain, and Moses encounters the burning bush on that mountain, and then they go. He goes and has, repeatedly goes up that mountain to encounter the Lord on the top of that mountain. The temptation is to make something happen by going up the mountain rather than submitting. I think of all the high places that sacrifices have been made to false gods. It's not a coincidence. It's, 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 an, it's an imitation. Just doing the right things is not the same as submitting to the Lord. So doing all the things, going up to a top of a mountain and making a sacrifice is not submitting to the Lord unless he said to do it and he told you what to sacrifice and you're doing it in his will. Otherwise, it's idol worship. You can think about the prayer room the same way. Without submission to the Lord, it's at best a waste of time. At worst, it's actually idol worship. You're trying to make something happen. And it can look the same from person to person. It really has to do with what the Lord is saying. What he's saying to you, through others, through yourself, what your time with him, through the word 
This is a fiery mountaintop here. We have access. This is the same God that dropped fire and smoke and lightning and thunder and, oh, the Lord is coming in the middle of the night. This is the same God who talked to Moses and said, don't even touch the mountain. And he has made a way, he's made access for us to come to that mountain, to come up, to come into the prayer room, which is modeled after Mount Zion, which is all modeled after his tabernacle, modeled after his dwelling place. We forget. That's serious. We need to be going up the mountain to bow down, encountering the Lord on the mountaintop to submit to his authority. Now let's go to Zechariah 4. Now the angel of the Lord who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one to the right of the bowl and the other to its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I answered, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, nor by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of the temple. His hand shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro through the whole earth. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at the left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacle of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? And then he answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Turn to Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, And his clothes became as white as light, as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. 
If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, when, Why do, then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. If you turn to Malachi 4, Oh, I didn't put what part of Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, you who trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That portion in Zechariah 4, 6, and 7, where it talks about Zerubbabel, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. More of the word of the Lord came to me. What is mountains being brought low? What does that mean? As I'm reading about it, it's both a picture of false idols being cast down and greater access. Like it's promised here that these things will happen in that great day, but it also talks about Jesus' coming from the prophetic And with his coming was access to the Lord. It went from Moses where the people couldn't go up the hill to Jesus comes and makes a way. That veil in the temple was torn. There is access that there wasn't before. Um, And it looks like these mountains being brought low. When the mountains are brought low, Referring to the end times, um, it's both great with that access, 
and terrible. But that shaking, that breaking down, it reminds me of what David was talking about a few weeks ago, the smell of death, the smell of life. will we know the time of our visitation? In Luke 19, Jesus, in 1941, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, is my subheading in my Bible. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave to you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it's written, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. In John 4, 19, it's the woman at the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one might ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we worship for salvations of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus will be revealed. He was, and he will be again. In Revelation 1, 7, it says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. In Isaiah 45, 22, it says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow. In Romans 14, 11, it says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. This bringing of the mountains down is both great access to the Lord, that encounter, and terrible because of that same encounter. Without the covering and sanctification of our hearts in Jesus. Back to that cleansing our vessels from last week. Or instead of going up the mountain of the Lord, where he'll teach us his ways, we're hiding in the rocks. In Isaiah 2.10, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. In that passage in Zechariah 4, talking about the mountain being leveled in Psalm 114. It says, When Israel went out of Egypt, 
the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea sought and fled and Jordan turned back and the mountains skipped like rams and little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains, that you skipped like rams? O little hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into pools of water, the flint into fountains of water. Or in Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Nahum 1, 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the seas and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the followers of Lebanon wilt. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like, poured out like fire. The rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. In Isaiah 33, 14, I'm almost done slamming you with all these mountains falling down. <laughs> the sinners in Zion are afraid. 33:14 Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings he walks rightly and speaks uprightly who walks righteously and speaks uprightly he who despises the gain of oppression who gestures with his hands refusing bribes who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil he will dwell on high his place of defense will be a fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. There are many examples in the Bible of those who press in. There's Hannah pressing in in anguish for a son. There's Abraham going up the mountain to bow down and lay low and give all in the sacrifice of his son to the Lord at his command. And so many others pressed into the Lord in their desperation and need. And it was called faithfulness. Hebrews 11.32 And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weaknesses were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. 
Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were lain, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These people pressed in, and they were pressed. Alia, if you want to come up for a response. The only thing keeping us apart is me. That's what came forward. I laid down my leadership. I want you to lead me into your peace. All we have to do is run to you, was a song that was sang. Lay it all down at your feet. Stop striving. Stop trying. We need to press into you. Because that's, that's not how it works, the stopping, trying to stop and trying to strive. Just press into your love and float in your presence. And I liked what uh, Sienna prayed into. Lift our heads towards you and let you come in. Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you for the things that you're saying. I don't completely understand, but I'm asking you, mold my heart. Just like earlier in the week when Alia prayed, she prayed about a vessel being thrown on a wheel. And there's the hard vessel that cracks when it's thrown, and then there's the soft one that can be formed. That when it hits the wheel, it is shaped, it's molded. Lord, we want to be molded and shaped. We want the pressure to form us. We want the pressure to be an invitation. We want to accept that invitation to be changed by you, Lord. Lord, I'm sorry where I resist you. I'm sorry where I try to make myself do it in my own strength. The truth is I don't have the strength. I don't want that kind of strength. I want the kind of strength that recognizes I need a savior that goes where you are, that lays down to your leadership. Lord, I give you all of my own self-leadership. Ask for you to come lead me. Lord, I'm asking for an encounter with you. Help me to press into you. Amen.